Hello and welcome to episode 86 of the Alfa Romeo Driver podcast, brought to you by the Alfa Romeo Owners Club. To mark the 100th anniversary of the Quadrifoglio, this episode is the fourth of our irregular series of No Such Thing as a Brera Quadrifoglio. I'm Guy Swarbrick and I'm sitting here with club chairman John Griffiths, club manager Nick Wright and Alpha Females Kirsty Hodson. And we've gathered around the microphones with our four favourite Quadrifoglio facts, starting this week with Kirsty. My fact this week is about the origin story of the cloverleaf symbol and where Ugo Sivocci took his inspiration. Ugo, where now? Ugo Sivocci. It's a hell of a name. He wasn't likely to grow up an introvert, was he? After a career as a pretty handy cycle racer, he was runner-up in the Corsa Nazionale, a 600-kilometre rival to the Giro d'Italia. Sivocci became a mechanic and eventually an Alfa Corsa racing driver, one of the four musketeers, along with Giuseppe Campari, Antonio Ascari, father of the more famous Alberto, and the other one, Enzo Ferrari. Whatever happened to him? Faded into obscurity, I think. But it was Sivocci who introduced Ferrari to motor racing, and Ferrari who got Sivocci the Alpha Drive. Anyway, most people know the main bits of the Quadrifoglio origin story. Depending on which version of the story you believe, just before the 1923 Targa Florio, the least famous, and in his mind, the unluckiest of the four musketeers, either got a tin of white paint and a tin of green, and painted a white diamond surrounding a lucky four-leaf clover on the front of his RL, or more likely got someone else to do it for him. He went on to win the race, but tragically died four months later in practice at Monza in a hastily prepared P1, which the team hadn't had time to paint his lucky symbol on. From then on, one of the four corners of the diamond was removed, and the famous triangular emblem was born, or so the official story goes. The official story? Yes. The problem with the touching story of the missing musketeer and the missing corner is that in the very first outing for the quadrifoglio, Sivocci had the diamond on the edge of the radiator casing, but his teammate Campari had a cloverleaf on a circular background further back on the engine cover, and Ascari had a cloverleaf in a triangle in the same location as Campari's circle. Another works driver, Giulio Massetti, had a circular quadrifoglio badge too, but behind the driver... Ignoring all that, the question is, where did the idea come from? And do we know the answer? No, not for sure. <laughs> there are lots of theories. I was once told he was given a real cloverleaf by a Contessa and lost it, so he had one painted on. But I can't remember who told me, and I can't find a source for that story anywhere. Well, I don't have a good source for this one either, but it's a good story. In the First World War, there was an Italian army bomber squadron, the 10th Caproni Bomber Squadron. Had a quadrifoglio painted on its planes. Oh, Caproni. Is that a cocktail? That's a Negroni, I think. Or were you thinking of Capri Sun? Possibly. Caproni were an aircraft manufacturer based in Milan at Lenate Airport, actually on almost exactly the opposite side of the city from the Alpha factory at Portello. They were eventually bought by helicopter manufacturer Augusta. Oh, Augusta. I think MV Augusta, who made motorbikes, were a spin off from the aircraft company. They were. Augusta merged Westland and is now called Leonardo, and their factory in the UK is in Yeovil, just down the road from the Haynes Motor Museum, where we held Southwest Alpha Day this year. We're pretty sure that the 10th Caproni Bomber Squadron was the first Italian unit to use the cloverleaf. But the other reason we think this might have been a source of Sivocci's inspiration is that in the same year that he painted the symbol on his Alpha, the Corpo Aeronautica Militare of the Italian Army became an independent branch of the Italian military, the Aeronautica Militare. And the new Italian Air Force had, and still has, a four-quartered badge with a quadrifoglio in the bottom left corner. Well, if that is where Sivocci saw it, there's a nice link to Ferrari. Uh, Enzo left Alfa Romeo in 29 to start his own team running privateer Alphas. And then in 32, partly to differentiate his cars from the works Alphas with their 10th Caproni Bomber Squadron quadrifoglio badges, he added the now famous prancing horse 
to his eight C2300s for the Spa 24 hours, where they came first and second. And where did the prancing horse come from, I ask? Well, the 10th fighter squadron of the Italian Air Force. There's another link to Southwest Alpha Day too. Bear with me on this one. The Royal Naval Air Service, now the fleet air arm, based at Yeovilton, just down the road from the Haynes Motor Museum, had six Caproni CA-4 bombers during the First World War, based initially at Taranto in Puglia. They didn't actually see service. The crews probably hang around looking super cool, though. Naval aviators. How could they possibly do anything else? <laughs> the Capronis were returned to Italy after the war, but they were quite a sight. The CA-4 was the triplane version of arguably the most successful biplane heavy bomber of World War One. Over 250 were built for the Italian Army and Navy. It was powered by three Isotta Fraschini V6 liquid-cooled 270-horsepower engines. One was even converted into a seaplane, a triplane seaplane. But the tenuous links don't end there. In the Second World War, a fairy swordfish biplane torpedo bomber, most famous ironically for a raid on the fleet at anchor at Taranto, which effectively ended the Italian Navy's operations in the Mediterranean, was damaged by anti-aircraft fire and forced to land at the naval base at Elmas, near Cagliari in Sardinia. It was later repaired by Caproni, of course, and flown by the Italian Navy, fitted with an Alfa Romeo 125 Aero engine, which was a licence-built version of the Swordfish's original Bristol Pegasus engine. And if that wasn't tenuous enough, Rolls-Royce later revived the Pegasus name for the engine that powered the Harrier, flown by both the Royal Navy and the Italian Marina Militare. And the Royal Air Force. The crabs are quite capable of doing their own PR, Kersey, and they're not part of this story. Fine. Now, probably unrelated, but Alpha originally built French Darak cars under license as SAID, or SAID, and the first car known to have run with a four-leaf clover badge was also French. The Brassier. Brassier? Uh, no, I don't think that's how it's pronounced, but oh. the Brassier is best known for winning several editions of the brilliantly named Gordon Bennett Cup. Gordon Bennett. Exactly. <laughs> and had an enamelled quadrifolio, apparently, enclosed in a golden circle on its radiator, a bit like the badges on the C-pillar of 1750 GTVs. Okay, it's time to move on to our second fact, and that fact is my fact. My fact this week is that we posted on social media a couple of weeks ago about the stalk on the quadrifolio badges pointing to the right, and we were wrong. Surely not. Well, sort of half right. It almost always does face right when it's not on the side of a car. The boot badges on Alpha Suds and 33s, for example, or on a brochure or on a press release. On the wing of a car in recent years, it's usually pointed to the rear of the car, but it hasn't always done that either. In the early 1960s, Alpha registered the badge as a trademark for use in the automotive field. A green quadrifolio with no stem was registered in 1963 with the Central Patent Office in Italy. And in May 1968, a second quadrifolio with a single black stroke to represent the stem on the right was filed. But today's quadrifolio badges rotated through 90 degrees from those. And the reality is that Alpha wasn't really very consistent about the way the badge was used until it was reintroduced on the 8C in 2007, when presumably somebody in marketing decided there should be some brand guidelines. But the persistent myth that there's one correct way for the stem to point has led to people thinking that the cloverleaf on their car wasn't fitted at the factory or is a rare mistake or limited edition? Now, <clears throat> talking of rare limited editions, over the years there's been persistent rumours of a rare blue cloverleaf, particularly the 145 blue cloverleaf. Gold and green cloverleafs I've heard of, but never blue. Ah, but see, people get very excited about their secret, their special limited edition, all kind of inside knowledge, but 
very sadly, it's just a green badge on the sills that's faded under UV light. <laughs> Time to get the acrylic paint out and you can touch up the bits of rust while you're there. That's quite enough of the R word, Kirsty. <laughs> There's also a rumour that factory alphas have raised with three leaf clovers. Shamrocks, if you're Irish. But I can't find any actual evidence for that. The shamrock thing drives me mad. I'm always having people come up to me and asking me if I'm Irish. It takes a while to work out that they've seen the badge. Americans, mostly. The Americans do confuse shamrocks and four-leaf clovers. They've picked up some Irish traditions and some European ones and mangled them together. That's a fairly good summary of US culture as a whole. Harsh. There's some Mexican and Native American stuff in there too. Back in the old country, the pagan Irish considered three to be a lucky number. And St. Patrick, Wales' most famous Irishman. <laughs> Ireland's most famous Welshman. Thought he was Roman. Italian link at last. Anyway... <laughs> St. Patrick supposedly used shamrocks to teach the pagan Irish about the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. So the shamrock became really important. And with the link between three and good luck, the four-leaf clover the rest of Europe considered lucky didn't really get a look in. That's true. The American breakfast cereal Lucky Charms, which is a mix of congealed corn waste and coloured styrofoam, used to have a leprechaun <laughs> with a shamrock on his hat on the box. But that confused the non-Irish who associated a four-leaf clover rather than a shamrock with good luck. So now he has a four-leaf clover in his hat, even though that makes no sense to the Irish. Speaking of breakfast cereals and plants, there was once a cereal, American again, obviously, called buttercups. The cereal bits looked like buttercups, and the box itself was very flowery. And apparently the TV ad showed kids picking and eating real buttercups in the meadow. Now, the problem with buttercups, members of the genus Ranunculus, is that they're poisonous. The product was swiftly withdrawn Awkward. I went to the Cambridge University Botanical Gardens a week or so, as you do, after a trip to Jamie Porter's Alpha Workshop, and they had enough buttercup facts to do another complete fact-based podcast. The buttercup family has as many as 1,800 species compared to just 300 clovers. The Latin name ranunculus comes from the Latin for little frog, because the flowers, like amphibians, are often found near ponds. The name buttercup comes from the assumption that it's cows eating the plant that give butter its distinctive colour. But it turns out buttercups are also poisonous to cows. Coming soon, no such thing as an edible buttercup. <laughs> Arguably, the more successful culinary effort was green beer, first made in 1914 by Thomas Hayes Curtin, an Irish-American doctor who dyed beer green for a St. Patrick's Day celebration at his Bronx-based social club, the Schneira. The idea caught on, unfortunately. It's a familiar story. Kirsty, can you do some research on quadrifolios? Four hours later, I found beer! <laughs> now, stop the podcast. Stop the podcast! Stop the podcast! I think it stopped. Okay, it's coming up to Christmas, and I was thinking, what do you buy the 105 enthusiast who thinks nothing of paying £290 for a pair of Alphaholics quarter-light hinges? No, I think of nothing else this time of year. Quite. So imagine my relief when the man from DHL knocked on my door and handed over 8.2 kilograms worth of Dingwort Verlag's latest output. Dingwort Verlag. Exactly. Mm. <laughs> Dingwort Verlag is a German publisher, and they're famous in 105 circles for their series of books by Patrick Dasser on the 105 series. There are nine so far, and they're famous for their almost unbelievable level of detail and specialization. There are entire books on subjects that would normally only merit a couple of pages in other alpha publications, the Bellina and the Giulia Zagato, for example, or the Tipo 33 race cars. Not all of them, mind you, just the ones from 1967. Uh, didn't you review one of their books on right-hand drive 105s? I did, and an invaluable reference it is too. And, and hang on, did you say 8.2 kilograms? Have they, have they branched out and done a series on 101 cars or the 155s? 115s even. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, this is another one from the 105 series. Where they have deviated from the old format is that this isn't one book per model. I should think not at 8.2 kilograms. Which models does it cover? Oh, it's just one model, the TZ, but it's five volumes. 1,500 pages, 1,250 black and white photos, and 300 colour ones on one <laughs> model. Most of the photos haven't been seen before. Okay, then how much? €349. But for that, you do get a presentation brown cardboard box with a quadrifolio sticker on. I appreciate that's a lot of money, but if the TZ's your thing, you have to have it. And as I said, it's about the same price as a couple of quarter-like catches. Well, if you put it like that. (laughs) Uh, And are you going to review this one? When I've read it all. And when will that be? Well, the book was published to mark the TZ's 60th anniversary and took, and I quote, several years to produce and that's with two people Dasa and Martin Nubila working on it in collaboration with our old friend Marco Fazio at Racy. so I'm aiming to have finished reading it before the 70th anniversary can't wait uh, on with the podcast on with the podcast actually John you're up next with fact number three aha uh-huh. righto now my fact is that the most powerful car to carry a factory sanctioned Alfa Romeo Cloverleaf probably isn't even technically an Alfa It'd be the Sauber C43 with over a 1,000 Ferrari horsepowers. The current record for power output in a road car, though, with a quadrifolio badge on it, is the GTA stroke GTAN with 532 bhp or 540 horsepower PSs or whatever. Or if we're talking volume production cars, the new model year 23 Julian Stelvio quadrifolio with kind of 520 horsepower. But Alpha have said that the quadrifolio version of the new electric Julian Stelvio could come out close to that of the F1 engine with over a 1,000 horsepower, just over twice the power of the original V6 Julian Stelvio and loads of instant torque too. Well, I mean, that's a lot of horses. I think that might even move the tree at Vista. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of salva cars, do we think that quadrifolio on Zhuguan News car contributed to him being able to walk away from his horrific accident at Silverstone last year? No, that was engineering. St. Patrick's not the only one with a halo. <laughs> to be fair, the stock on Joe's Cloverleaf did face just about every possible way, including up and down during his trip to the gravel trap. Fair enough. So Sivocci's RL was the first racing car to carry the badge, and the C43 has the most power, but the first sort of road car with factory badges fitted was the Julius Super TI in 1963, with a modest 110 horsepower about a tenth of the modern Formula One engine or an electric Stelvio. So sort of road car. Well, it was definitely a road car. All right, sort of a production car. It was a homologation special, so it wasn't just a run-of-the-mill road car. Mm. Talking of homologation specials, I saw a 155 Silverstone at Silverstone last weekend, and it was for sale. Oh, I'd love one of those. How how much was it? I've no idea. As soon as I saw the for sale sign, I turned and walked in the other direction. I can explain away the odd die-cast model, but a full-size 155 might be an impulse purchase too far. Okay, (laughs) it's time for our final fact of the week, and that is Nick's fact. My fact was more about the quadrifolio and just how lucky it is, or isn't. Thinking back to Savocci's Targa Florio win back in 1923, his good luck was also his teammate's bad luck. He only won because Ascari's RL, also carrying a cloverleaf, had broken down. He had such an enormous lead that his mechanics came to his aid and got the car going again. However, they were so pleased with themselves and proud of their victory contribution that they all jumped on board the car to cross the finishing line. That was against the rules, so Scari was disqualified and Hugo Savocci got the win. <laughs> that good look didn't last long, did it? No, by September, Savocci was dead. Scari died in the French Grand Prix in 1925. By 1926, Massetti was dead too in the Targa Florio, although not an alpha. 
Campari, who had moved on to Maserati, was due to retire at the end of the 1933 season at the age of 41. But like Sivocci, he lost his life at Monza. Ferrari was, in fact, the only one who didn't die racing, and the only one of the Musketeers who didn't have a quadrifolio on his car in April 1923 in Sicily. Well, that's a cheery ending, isn't it? Uh, you know, this is supposed to be a comedy podcast. Is it, though? Is it? <laughs> well, some claim that Savocci got his credit for the Cloverleaf because of his lucky win in the Targa Florio, and it was someone else, possibly a mechanic, who served in the bombers in the war that had only ended five years earlier. Savocci's racing number at the Italian Grand Prix, 17, is one of the earliest examples of a sports team retiring a number from use in competition. Maybe that was always going to offset the quadrifolio anyway. In Italy, the number 17 is associated with bad luck because the Roman numeral form of 17 is XV11, which can be jumbled to spell Vixi, a Roman word with connotations of death. V-I-X-I was often inscribed on ancient tombs. It means I have lived or my life is over. Maybe he should have gone with 13. Italians link that to the great goddess, fertility and the moon cycles. I believe it brings prosperity in life. The Italian expression that means to hit the jackpot is fare tradisci, or make 13. Ironically, even the corner where he died was named after Ascari. Turn 17? Uh, no, but not 13 either. I think it was turn four then. There are only 11 corners now and it's turns eight, nine and 10. It's a chicane, but it wasn't when Savucci raced there. Well, on that note, I think it's probably time to wrap up. If you'd like to get in touch with any of us about any of the facts we've talked about this week or any ideas you might have for a future episode, I'm on Twitter, X, Twix, whatever it's called this week, as at Alpha Driver UK. I'm at Arock UK Thames V. I'm at Arock East Mids. And you can email me at manager at aroc-uk.com. We'll be back in four weeks' time on Sunday the 3rd of December from 1.30pm on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Podbean and everywhere else good podcasts are found. Until then, stay safe. <laughs>